0: So we've been talking in the earlier podcasts about culture, about the culture at my company, Latrum, and its subsidiary, Interlox. Today, we're changing modes. I'm actually interviewing someone who's been with the company now 26 years. Rebecca Lim started in 1993. She is now living in Shanghai. She's previously worked in New Orleans for the company In Amsterdam and now she's living in China as the Asia PAC general manager she's also the business unit leader for one of our three major business units and it's our fastest growing business unit and it's deploying this specialty equipment for the logistics industry Rebecca thanks a lot for being part of this wonderful experiment
1: thanks for having me John
0: and why don't you just give us a little bit of your career trajectory how did it how did it happen
1: yeah, so um, I guess, you know, I, I would never have predicted when I started at, at Latrum that I would be here 26 years later. Um, it was, uh, I started as an intern and just found over the years, step by step, that I ended up building a career. Um, when when I first started, I expected to work maybe that summer, then it became a, a job that I thought I would do for about three years. and what i found you know when i when i first uh, encountered latrum i would say i was a starry-eyed idealist who expected to save the world through ngos and maybe uh, making a big difference in the world basically through different ways of doing nonprofit work was what i expected and i never I never imagined that I would be able to find a place where I felt like I was doing meaningful work and have really come to, over the years, understand the nobility of business, frankly. And that has really driven, I would say, the the continuation and the development of my career. Um, I've done a lot of different roles. Obviously, 26 years is a long time, Um, and over that time, you know the the thing that I've found is that if you are ready, willing, and able to jump into anything that scares you, you can pretty much write your ticket. So that's been uh, that's been sort of my mo. Is if it if it looks scary and I'm not sure how to do it, then let me try that out. And uh, I've been very fortunate that. People at Intralox and Latrum have taken a chance on me all those years and let me, let me jump into things that I didn't know enough about before I started and let me learn along the way and, um, and yeah find a very fulfilling but also hopefully contribute along the way.
0: Rebecca, for several years you've been in what I'll call senior management for quite some time now and one of your previous jobs at a pretty senior level was managing the people who do our cultural training. What were you trying to achieve when you were doing that? What did you have conviction about? How, did, how were you thinking about success?
1: Uh, so to, to answer that question, I guess I'd start with saying that the culture is the reason I'm still here 26 years later. And so I am passionate about the culture at Intralox, and I believe that it is what has made the company successful, and it is what keeps and attracts people who have the kind of talent and the kind of shared values who can really make a difference. And so the reason I got into even managing that area of responsibility was because I'm so passionate about it and because it is it is the thing that drives me and that keeps me at the company. So one of the things that I saw was as we began to grow, we it became harder and harder to preserve culture. And so Uh, When you start with a a small group of like-minded people around a particular set of values, it it can be pretty easy to drive culture throughout the organization. You can be assured of consistency in decision-making and behaviors, all sorts of things. But as we started to grow and become more global, that's harder and harder to preserve. And so one of of my passions was I want this company to become a billion-dollar company and still have this amazing culture that makes us so special and so unique so my objective really when I first started out with that and there were only a couple of us in that game at that point was to try to facilitate discussions around the values the culture and how we implement it so that it would uh, proliferate throughout the organization and really be something that we kept no matter where you went in the world. You could go to Melbourne, you could go to Brazil, you could go to China, you could go to Amsterdam, and it's the same. You have the same set of values. You can rely on the same thing everywhere you go.
0: Rebecca, you and I have worked together for a long time. I think you and I could finish a lot of each other's sentences when we talk about culture, but if you could pretend that away. I've just landed from Mars, I keep hearing about culture. What exactly, how would you explain the latrum or the interlox culture quickly to someone who didn't have the sort of immersion in it that you and I have had?
1: So that's a, it's an interesting question, John. I think um, because we do try to do that so often, for me, I, I think in terms of two, two main things come through for me when I think about our culture. The first is bringing out the best. It's it's really about optimizing and continuously optimizing both people and performance and processes, products, uh, customer value. It's it's really about bringing out the best. And for me that's that's just a personal passion, so that's one of the things I love about our culture. The other word that I always use to describe Intralox and this is fundamental to our culture is integrity. I think, you know, for me the definition of integrity is Your beliefs, your words, and your actions align. And whenever anything in that equation is out of alignment, integrity is gone. And for me, that's been one of the things about working at Intralox and at Latrum is that what we say, what we believe in our hearts, what we, the principles we apply, we talk about them and then we behave in accordance with them. And we expect that. And if people don't align to that, they don't last here. And so I think that's what makes the company truly, um, truly special.
0: So Rebecca, you're a, sort of a student and noticer of our culture and have been a trainer of our culture, but you also quote unquote work here. How has the culture of Latrum affected your experience of work in this place?
1: So I think, I think some of it goes back to what I talked about before of helping me to understand then really the, the dignity and the nobility that comes with with work, uh, frankly. You know, it, it's interesting. I saw something that, that a friend of mine had had posted actually the other day, and it said, um, I'm probably not going to get it quite right, but it said, you can have a job and fill your pockets with money, or you can have an adventure and fill your soul. And... I thought, you know, my answer to her was, or your job can be an adventure and you can fill your soul and fill your pocket at the same time so that you can continue to give back and do more things. So I think for me, the the culture and the, the honesty, the integrity, the commitment to excellence, the commitment to being our best that every person brings, makes the work experience meaningful. Um, and it really, really ultimately comes back to the delivery of value to customers. That's That's the core underlying thing that that really drives everything that we do. But what to me has been so maybe special about uh, Intralox and my experience here is, you know, I think there's such a core commitment to the idea of continuous improvement. And so many people, that's that's become a buzzword. That's an easy thing to say. I'm continuously improving. Um, But... What I see here is there is a commitment to having essentially no sacred cows. So when you see something great and you see something, someone who has achieved something incredible, if you think about an athlete, for example, you know they train to get to a certain level, but most athletes plateau. If they don't change their training, if they don't change their inputs, they won't get better than where they are and that's the same as true with a company, right? We we can very easily get complacent with being very good or being great even. Uh, but we know that what will get us to the next level will not be what got us here. And I think that's truly special at this company and and sometimes we're tempted to stick to what made us great to begin with. That's you know, it doesn't mean it's always perfect. But I think there's a a philosophical core commitment to say how can we do it better and what's changing in our environment what's changing about the people who work here what's changing about technology what's changing about our customers so that we're constantly trying to scan that environment and understand what we need to change in order to get better not change for change's sake but change in order to get better and so for me that has really I think given me a completely different experience of work that's about a commitment together to, what I talked about at the beginning, to being the best, to being the best we can be, versus what I've seen in some other environments.
0: Rebecca, you also have a pretty demanding job as a manager, both of our Asia PAC operations and as the leader of the business unit for the logistics industry. And so you're working intensively with managers reporting to you and you're engaging with them as a manager. Talk, please, about your vital few thoughts. When you're actually managing people, I know you bring a lot of intentionality to that relationship. What's, what's on your mind when you're managing people?
1: So managing people is probably... Uh, it's it's Seeing people succeed is probably the most rewarding thing I do. Um, so it's not managing people. It's actually being a part of facilitating uh, their success. And I think, you know, anytime I'm working, if I'm thinking about an individual, I'm thinking about how do I help them optimize? Not how do I optimize them, but how do I help them optimize? And to me, that means optimize their skill sets, optimize their contributions, optimize their happiness, their satisfaction with what they're doing. And so to me, happiness actually comes from doing something that's meaningful to you so it a lot of that facilitation has to do with helping people figure out how to be as effective and as efficient as possible in a place that makes them uh truly joyful right that they really get a charge from and 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 so being able to serve as a mirror and you know do the things that good coaches do i think that's probably Maybe it sounds a little soft, but that's basically what what I do. I think if I'm looking at kind of how I how I really engage with my teams and people, I also look at how do we optimize the team itself, the who's working together, the chemistry, the skill sets, the all of that. Um, and then when I look at my total team, I'm I'm always looking for a successor. And maybe that's because I have ADD and I can't stay in a job very long, but um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for the next thing that's going to challenge me, and I assume most um, highly motivated people are as well, and so constantly am looking at who can take over next, but who can take this further than I was able to, so that, that's what I'm looking for, is a skill set that can be better than mine in whatever space it is that I'm working
0: so for anyone listening, Rebecca said she, this, the, what she's saying may sound a little soft. I'll just tell you that her teams get very amazing results by any objective measure. So that softness is not <laughs> at war with uh, outcomes in, in a pretty demanding environment. But Rebecca, I know uh, of one person who specifically asked to work for you because of that intentionality you bring to growing people. And lo and behold, that person became one of your successors, right, in yep. one, one of your prior... Uh, engagement so that may that seems like a an interesting cycle how that comes full circle what kind of person are you excited about having work with you what kind of person do you get the most excited in investing in in the way that you just talked about because I bet you don't see all people as equally good candidates for that
1: true yeah you know I think I think the fundamental is they have to be pretty committed um, and make use of that investment so i don't start off investing everything in a person right i i I start by investing a little bit i put i put some time in i may give some feedback and then i see what do they do with that Uh, and and the people who get more from me much more investment i manage everybody of course but when you're really going to invest and spend time on somebody it's the people who uh, take that investment and multiply it and do something more with it and who are hungry, you know, hungry to learn. I think, you know, I like somebody who's putting pressure on me to be better as a manager. Um, the person you referenced before, I felt kind of intimidated, you know, when when it was sort of, but I'm going to expect a lot from you, and and that was great because it it pushed me to always be at my best.
0: So Rebecca, just to make sure everybody understands, you're talking about someone who wanted to report to you. But also said, I'm asking a lot from you as a manager. That's right. And that sort of raised your expectations of yourself and raised your game.
1: Yep, absolutely. That's interesting. And I love that. I, I like to work with people who make me better. Um, I believe right now I'm working with mostly people that are smarter than me, and they push me. And so I really feel very, very fortunate with that. If you think about the characteristics, though, you asked what kind of person am I excited about managing. I think some of the characteristics that I see in people that I really enjoy working with are, one, they tend to be very open, very kind of honest, and we use the word introspective, but it's, it's an openness to feedback. It's an openness to their environment, to seeing what's going on to other colleagues. Um, they tend to be curious, um, always kind of asking questions, and how is that working? What's next? How, what else could we be doing? How could we think about this differently? So they're always curious. They tend to be hard workers. <laughs> um, they also Uh, use their intelligence so by that I mean you know there are a lot of smart people in the world but not not a lot of people actually take that intelligence and apply it consciously and so I'm I'm looking for people that actually are conscious about how they're using their skill set their intelligence I like working with people that are humble that are fun I think you know if you can't laugh it's you know that's makes it really hard and people who are willing to, you know, willing to take risk and willing to throw themselves into something that they don't maybe completely know the answers to, but just willing to do their best, give it a shot. They have confidence. Um, so,
0: Rebecca, what's the coolest thing your team is working on right now?
1: So it's it's hard to pick one thing. <laughs> I think our team is uh, is is has a lot of a lot of different ideas and a lot of especially in the technology realm. If you look at L M H, which is the logistics business unit, but one of the one of the products we're working on right now that's pretty darn cool is uh, is this what we call the Smart Singulator, and it has the potential, I would say, to really revolutionize the way that logistics companies, so companies like FedEx and UPS are thinking about their networks. E-commerce is one of the fastest growing industries or segments in, in the world right now. Um, and there's just been a tsunami of investment going on. And they're trying to keep up with demand, essentially, and trying to push more and more and more packages through facilities. And this smart simulator allows them, well, should allow us to get to a uh, an ability in the same footprint to dramatically increase the capacity and reduce labor at the same time. So it, it's kind of a triple win for the customer, and it uses some pretty innovative technologies like neural networks and you know all sorts of cool jazzy stuff that I don't even begin to understand. Um, so the team that's working on that, I would say, are, are just superheroes and very jazzed about what they're working on right now.
0: If I said what's the coolest part of your job would it be the same answer or is there something different what when you're at work what's the fun part of work these days for you
1: to me the coolest part of my job the thing I get the most jazz out of is seeing people achieve something they never thought possible so being a part of that that's that's been consistent for a long time I, I love to see I love to see us go beyond our expectations and to um, yeah, just to be a part of facilitating that for people.
0: It's funny, that, that really is real. You know, I come in and out of that platform. I was in that platform in a prior career <laughs> here mm-hmm. too, and you come back a couple of years later and you see the number of people rallied around that technology and getting smarter as they work on it because you kind of <laughs> have to. They really don't have an option to, to not grow if you're working on that platform. And so it sucks in really talented people. You see them getting bigger, and that rejuvenates the technology, yep. too. It's just a beautiful cycle to watch. Yep. I think that's what you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. And, and not just in that platform. I would say everywhere. So seeing, you know, in, in prior some of my prior lives, seeing a team grow to levels that everybody was skeptical about. And um, now, you know, working with China to also see some of the young talent and leadership that's coming up. Uh, and, and people who may not have envisioned themselves in the roles that they're in now really taking strong leadership positions because they know so much about what they're doing and they're passionate. So um, to me, that's, that's what, yeah, I just really enjoy that. I like seeing people succeed.
0: Rebecca, who are you learning from? Whether it's a current mentor, someone who's consciously mentoring you or just someone you're observing or just reading about, who, who are you learning from these days?
1: So I, I've, this is a hard one for me to answer, actually, because I feel like I learn from everyone around me. I don't have, I would say right now, a specific mentor. I have some areas of study that I'm pursuing, uh, but it's not, and, and I'm, I'm getting a lot from, from people in that area. I, I learn a ton. I mentioned the strength of the team that I work with, and these are all people that report to me. I learn from those guys probably more every day than anyone else because they're so engaged in in what they do and so what I have done, especially over the last years, is try to see what I think people do really, really well and then try to emulate that. Uh, So individuals, I think think you, for example, are just great at finding and encouraging talent and so trying to see how you're doing that and, and so I learned from that. Um, we have another colleague in the management team that asks questions, really great question asker and great at listening to the answers and then doing follow on questions and I, I haven't always been good at that so trying to learn that. So I, I try to pick up from, I don't have a specific mentor right now I guess is the short answer.
0: You do but a lot I, of micro learning it sounds I, like. I do a lot of micro learning. It's probably the yeah. best, that's probably a, it something works for me others could learn from, yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, we talk about continuous improvement. All of us are trying to get better at something. What are you currently focused on? What's your what's your next opportunity to keep getting bigger?
1: So right now, uh, it's it's not a traditional or typical business related uh, improvement point, I guess. but my my focus or my yeah, the thing I'd like to do a whole lot better is bring more intense consciousness to everything I do. I have found that as my scope has expanded, the older I've gotten, the more things you have going on in your life. You've got kids, you've got you know family, you've got all sorts of things happening. And it's very easy to have a part of your brain distracted all the time. And I think the ability to be conscious and focused and prepared for each interaction that I have just magnifies my ability to be effective and to extract more from every experience and every moment and so i'm trying to slow my monkey brain down and or quiet it i suppose make it stop talking altogether and then be able to be intensely in the moment of what i'm doing and intensely with the people that i'm with and so i find that with that i leave every experience richer and more happier i suppose more fulfilled so, yeah, just trying to bring that, that consciousness and, and integrating creative thought into that consciousness as well.
0: Is there another company or two that you especially admire, people that you've either read enough about to have some deep context, or maybe you've been exposed to them in business? Who do you, who do you admire?
1: So I'll, I'll just mention one company that I think is, is extraordinary is um, Alibaba, and Jack Ma is high on my list of people that I would love to meet and talk to, the, the reason that I find that company so extraordinary and him so extraordinary, if, you, if you've ever read his story, it's amazing. He was, you know, he was a dirt poor boy from Hangzhou, you know, figured out that if he learned English, he might get exposure to, to new things. But he was clearly an avid learner, wanted to learn, wanted to better himself. But, but it was more of a natural, almost a natural curiosity as well. And there, there's a book called "The House That Jack Ma Built." That's uh, that's a, a great kind of history of him and his life and what he did, and but how he built that organization and the time period in which he did it, and the ability that he brought to think so much bigger than anybody around him could even fathom, and then make it happen. That to me, that's just extraordinary. And I would I would love to understand, you know, how to how to do that at that kind of scale and that kind of intensity and speed. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And he didn't let failure, I mean, he, he failed a lot. He didn't let failure stop him, you know? There's an interesting quote, I'll, I'll bring this in now because I, I think this is one that has inspired me for a long time and I keep it in the back of my mind pretty much every day. It's actually a Winston Churchill quote and it's, "'Failure is not fatal and success is not final.' it's the courage to continue that counts and I think that's so true because it can be so easy to rest on our laurels when we're successful and say okay we're done right we've made it we've arrived and that's as much an enemy of progress as saying oh I failed or it's too risky I can't try because I might fail and so it it really is about just getting up and going out there and doing it and even if you don't know what's going to happen just getting out there and doing it and I think Jack Ma to me is a kind of a, an example on steroids, I mean, of that kind of uh, mentality.
0: So Rebecca, I was about to ask you, what would you like to hear someone acknowledge at your retirement dinner? But let me ask you what well, I'll consider a better question. Okay. What would you like to be congratulating yourself on at your retirement dinner? So some of our best work may be invisible, right? Sometimes the, the intangibles you bring to the job may or may not be fully noticed. What would you like to know? First of all, we hope that you're not retiring. I hope you're not retiring soon. I hope you hope you're not retiring soon. But what would you like to look back on and say and to to know is true at your retirement?
1: That's interesting. I think looking out, if I was at a retirement dinner and there are people there, to be able to look out and see people whose lives I had made a difference in and know that I had helped them become who they wanted to become, probably would be the most significant to also feel uh, that I was trusted. Uh, I think trust is something you and I have talked about before and I think to me that's one of the really fundamentals that gives life meaning and purpose. So to know that that, that people trusted me from a competence standpoint but also from a character standpoint and trusted my intent is pretty important to me. So I guess, I guess it comes down to just probably what most people want is to feel like you made a difference and that that difference was for the better.
0: (laughs) Rebecca, we value diversity in what I'll call the pre-politically correct sense. I mean, we also value the sort of diversity that everyone's talking about these days. But even before that, we value lots of different temperaments and talents and, and mindsets in the company because we think it enriches us. What is it that you think we have to insist on though, in terms of mindsets? What are the what are the like-mindednesses that we sort of have to insist on, do you think?
1: So I, I think the places that we have to be like-minded is first the end game. We have to share a commitment to customer value. I think that is the end game. Uh, and sustained customer value because that's the way we continue to go. And I think the other thing is culture. So what are the core values and the principles by which we make decisions? Those have to be the same otherwise you're constantly at cross purposes and you don't you don't get very far. I think in terms of diversity though, we're looking for diversity of experience, diversity of perspective, diversity in terms of how people think about the how. So the the what is should be consistent, but the how, there's a lot of different ways to get to our end game and some of those may be better than others and one of the things I've learned in the last years is that there's there's not one right way, ever. And you really see that the right mix of the people, the process, and the maybe the tools they have can yield a result that you never would have expected had you tried that in some other context. And so to me, that bringing that, that diversity of thought and then empowering people to to try their diverse ideas can lead you to an end game that's just gets you there much quicker and and much more powerfully, I think. So
0: seeing as like, it's part of too, when you said, I learn a lot from lots of people, we called it micro learning, the more diverse your population, the more that's likely to happen. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and bringing creativity into it as well that you know, I think people that maybe studied art or studied, you know, history or something other than business may bring some of your most interesting ideas because they're actually coming from a completely different perspective.
0: Rebecca, thank you a ton. This was fantastic. Uh, anything else you'd like to, to say before we wrap? Uh,
1: I don't think so. I uh, just really appreciate being here. I think it's been fun to talk about this and, um, you know, I, guess, I guess what I would say is my, my personal motto. I'll leave you with this. It's uh, be kind, be brave, and seek truth.